welcome to the Let's Talk Faith and Justice podcast. This is Elizabeth from Boston Faith and Justice, and I just wanted to record a quick little intro before we get to the conversation that I'm really excited to share with you all. Um, This episode is a conversation I had with a former pastor of mine, George Cladis, who served at Faith Community Church, where I attend for about seven years, and this was probably four or five years ago that he left our church to go be with High Rocks. If you want to do some of that math, I've probably known George for about 10 or 12 years. And he's just a wonderful source of uh, information. He's seen a lot and knows a lot and also just a thought partner that I've really appreciated over the years. So I'm really glad that we were able to have this conversation to share with you all in our community so that you can hear some about some things about George's experiences, the things that he's learned as a pastor of multiple different churches um, here in Massachusetts and in other parts of the country, and some of the other stuff that he's done and learned from. He's also really generous sharing about his personal journey, and I think there's a lot that we can all learn from one another. So I'm eager for you to listen. And I also just want to mention that if you're listening to this in real time when we drop it, which will be uh, mid-December, be it Boston Faith and Justice, like so many other organizations at this time, are just seeking the support of our community as a nonprofit so that we can continue to do what we're doing. So if you are able to donate to our work, we would so appreciate that and just be really grateful. We know that um, people can give at different times and have different abilities to give. And we recognize that and just appreciate the generosity of the community that empowers us to do the important work that we do. So won't say anything more about that. And we'll just say thank you to the Boston Faith and Justice community for a wonderful 2023 and looking forward to um, more of the work that God has for us in 2024. And here, have a listen to my conversation with Pastor George Gladys. Okay, so I'm really excited to have you here with us, George, on Boston Faith and Justice's Let's Talk Faith and Justice podcast. Um, George and I have known each other for a while. I was actually part of the committee that hires you at the church you used to be at, where I attend. So um, I just think there's such a wide array of things that we could talk about. I'm going to try to keep us on track, but you just have a myriad of areas of interest, expertise, and experience. So I'm excited to um, just expose our community to some of those. So initially, I'd love for you to share just a little bit of your faith journey that brought you to where you are now. Well, hi, Elizabeth. Um, it's really great to be with you. And um, I love the network and what you're doing with that. You've been so helpful to uh, the church I serve here at Hyrock Church. And uh, I'm, you know, we're just so grateful to you, the Christian oh, community. You. Of uh, and yes, I have expertise. It's called fumbling around and failing a lot. I love it. And, and that includes my personal uh, spiritual life as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was, I was raising a Christian family. Parents, uh, were wonderful believers, very active in the church. And I had a wonderful, uh, church experience growing up, uh, learning about God. Uh, my, my parents uh, taught me things like, oh my gosh, like giving to your church, <laughs> things that seem don't, uh, seem not to be taught as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance of a spiritual life. Um, I went to seminary. I, I at first really thought I'd be a Greek translator. I love the Greek language. I'm of Greek mm-hmm. heritage and studied Greek and classics in college. And then I went to Princeton Seminary because there was a professor there at the time named Bruce Metzger. And he was like my hero in oh. Greek translation. 
Uh, and he was one of the editors uh, for the new Revised Standard Version uh, as well. And I was interested in that work and so on. And I was uh, interested in Wycliffe Bible Translators. So that was my orientation in seminary. But over time, people really affirmed me in leadership gifts and pastoral gifts. And I did some student um, ministry experiences and uh, wound up being ordained into uh, the the Presbyterian uh, ministry, church ministry. And uh, I had a great experience as a Presbyterian minister, but uh, it came to a time when life became very difficult for me personally. My daughter became very sick. Um, she nearly died three times. She was sick for, for a duration of, of 10 years. And in that time, uh, I just with the stress of life, uh, my marriage was not going well. And I, uh, I had a moral failure um, such that I broke my marital vows. I broke my ecclesiastical vows. And um, uh, when I was confronted with this, by an elder in the church, I admitted uh, what I'd done and uh, made a full confession to the church, mm. resigned. And never thinking I would ever go back in the ministry, I felt too damaged, I felt mm. too ashamed. I felt tremendous guilt. Um, I was horribly depressed. Uh, my marriage continued to be on the rocks and eventually would fail. Uh, it was just really really hard time. Uh, I went into business and I actually worked for a fellow who read my book, Leading the Team-Based Church. And he was interested in me applying those principles to his business. He was located in Los Angeles. And I spent several years as his vice president of operations for this company. It had been a startup that grew to be a bit mid-sized company. And so a lot of my leadership uh, skills and ideas I'd written about in the book got tested in the business community, and I learned tremendously more uh, there as well. Uh, a really good friend and mentor, Bob Buford, who wrote a book called Halftime, he came alongside me. He, he was really helpful to me. He just said, George, it's time to go back into the ministry, and I was really doubtful about that. Uh, but uh, he recommended me to a church in Worcester and Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, and said they need an executive pastor, and that would be combining your theological with your business background. So I did that, uh, and they accepted me. That was huge. Mm. Um, so I told them all about my background. And you know what they said to me in the first interview? They said, I told them my story, and they said, well, that's why we want you. And I said, what? And they said, uh, we're the church of second chances. Oh, wow. uh, they really were uh, and still are today. I had a wonderful experience there. I was there for seven years as uh, coming back into the church. It was rehabilitating for me as much as it was for the people we served mm -hmm. uh, in inner city Worcester. Um, and the pastor, after six years, the pastor resigned to go do other things, and they made me the interim pastor. And during that time, I was called away to the church where you go, Faith Community Church, Yes. Where I served as an executive, had a wonderful time there. Um, there are tremendous people at that church uh, that I grew to love and really enjoy. And I really thought I would never leave there. Uh, and along came a guy named Dave Swain from High Rock Church in Boston who said, look, at, we really need someone with your background to help us out. Mm -hmm. 
this church we have in Metro West Boston. Uh, could you help us out? You would be the pastor there. And that felt like coming full circle, mm. uh, Elizabeth. So the idea was to, wow, be a pastor again. And so that's what I'm doing now. And I love pastoring this church and doing other responsibilities now as well for the High Rock organization. Wow. Thank you so much. That's just tremendous to hear your story and just hear you share the ways in which God, you know, called you to the different moments in your life. I think one of the things that I love about having conversations on our podcast is just, it's, it's so nice to hear the different ways in which God calls people and uses people and equips people and the different vocational journeys people have, because I think we do sometimes get caught in this box of like, here's what it looks like to be a successful Christian. Um, and so I just, I really appreciate your story and I am glad there was a chapter at Faith Community, um, the church that I am a part of because you just, your ministry there was tremendous and it was a real blessing to me personally too. So yeah, thank you for that piece. <laughs> Can I add that in that story was a whole lot of therapy. Yes. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Unpacking what went wrong. And can I also add my daughter is healthy today, married and just had her second child, which they said she wouldn't live this long. They said she'd never have children. Yay. Oh, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Um, all right. So I want to dive deeper on some of the stuff you talked about. Um, you mentioned the book you wrote around team-based leading, and I know that that is a important part of how you approach ministry. I feel like you brought that to faith community in a lot of ways. Um, can you talk about what that looks like and how how that exists in, in your ministry now? Yeah. So I was pastoring a church in Austin, Texas, and there were a bunch of people in my church who worked for Dell, which was starting off and other technology companies. And they, they were doing this thing called team uh, work and in, in technology and i you know i was getting my doctor of ministry degree at austin seminary and i i was intrigued by this idea of god in perichoresis father son and holy spirit doing a circle dance okay. uh that john of damascus in the eighth century some of his musings um and so i thought wow you know church be, tends to be so hierarchical and it and people today resent that. They want to have more engagement, participation, the leadership of a church and its direction. So um, I took that model of, of the Trinity in perichoresis and thought, well, how can we create perichoretic churches mm. where we are doing something of a circle dance in leadership together and build up the body of Christ that way? So my doctor of ministry uh, project ended up being rewritten into a book form and um it was published uh as leading the team-based church and it really i really uh sort of cut my teeth on that in austin and i've practiced at other places where i've been of collaborative leadership uh, seen in people in the church as being leaders uh, who are gifted people who have a place to serve and building up and edifying the church of jesus yeah, I I really appreciate you naming that. I think as I've gotten older, I've I've definitely been so much more inclined to collaboration. I mean, I feel like I, in some ways I always have been, but just recognizing so much that like bringing other voices and perspective and lenses like just enriches whatever it is you're doing. Um and so, yeah, I think that's a that's an important value. Obviously, it manifests itself differently in different churches and organizations, but I think it yeah, it's an important value in doing ministry. Um, 
Okay. The other thing that you kind of touched on doing a little bit at um, the church you were at before faith community is the um, social outreach in the church and kind of combining this idea of um, the financial thriving connected to social enterprise. And um, I just, you were one of the first people that exposed me to this idea and the ways in which church could maybe look differently again than this sort of traditional model. So maybe you talk a little bit about like what that's looked like for you um, and, and why you believe in it, like why you think it's an important thing to um, consider doing. Yeah. So I want to really credit here um, a fellow named Will Bard. Will Bard was the pastor of Liberty Church uh, at that time, had two locations, Shrewsbury and Worcester. And he he had this idea that the church could be a place where we did services to the community, particularly the poor, uh, the disenfranchised, people in the inner city, uh, the addicted community, and so on. Um, and so he went, he persuaded his church to buy an old building, an old church building in Worcester. And they went to work renovating this thing. It had sat empty for 27 years. It was a one-fifth replica of Notre Dame. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, in inner city Worcester. And they went to work. uh, There were a lot of trades, uh, men and women in this community. They went to work on this building, and they restored it, rehabilitated it, much like their model of rehabilitating people. Mm. And uh, and I was called to to operate it as the New England Dream Center. We also had a worship service, a Liberty worship service in, in it as well. So it's a nonprofit combined with the church. And there's a whole business side to that because my business background, um, I was able to to operate this. And uh, it's a great model for the church. Uh, but we uh, imported programs and started programs that were socially involved in the community. Um, and there are a number of ways we did We built trust with the community. I'm, uh, I, I don't know if your podcast, if people see me or not, but I'm, I'm a white man. Actually, I'm Greek, but uh, I'm a white man, right? But I was a minority on the staff. We had Hispanic uh, people. We had leaders. We had um, African-Americans. We had African leaders. Um, and uh, I shared leadership with them in that church in inner city Worcester. We did a lot of community outreach, community projects, just to get to know people. There were there was a, a you know community housing, city housing around us called the projects. And um, we went into those housing projects. We met people, we engaged with them. We did all kinds of things to, to earn their trust. And they started coming to our church on Sunday morning. Then they started coming to some of our programs that we held also during the week. We also did programs for those with disabilities, particularly neurological uh, mm-hmm. disabilities, and another program for senior citizens, uh, particularly those who are living only on social se- security. It kept them out of nursing homes, and mm-hmm. instead we did a um, social daycare program for them in our church. We 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 fed hot meals. We had a kitchen open seven days a week. We had a, a drug rehabilitation program. Uh, we were connected all kinds of ho- housing for street people and other people uh, recovering from addiction. Uh, we were involved in a lot of things. We did this carpentry program. We trained uh, no, unskilled people to become carpenters. They got a certificate and uh, then were able to go and work for contractors or just hang a shingle out of their own. Oh, okay. Pun in- 
anyway, uh, that's just a little bit of what we did. And it was so meaningful. I think everyone involved uh, had a great experience uh, with that program. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember initially when you were, you shared with us, I forget if it was in that first meeting where I met you or just over the years of knowing you. And I've always just been really inspired by that model, not just for obviously the plethora of ways in which you engage with the community, but like this vision of church being, again, kind of going back to the team-based idea too, like it doesn't have to be this top down, like Sunday morning, sitting in the pews, then going home. It, and indeed it shouldn't be right. So I'm always so encouraged when I see churches kind of, how do we live out this vision? Like, how do we, how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus in the community where we are? Um, so, I mean, bringing that idea in or whatever, what thinking of the church and the church you're part of now, or just the church historically, because I know you kind of have a historical view of the church too. You um, do a lot of reading and thinking about all the things. How is the church um, and the big C church, we don't have to call out any churches, succeeding and or maybe missing opportunities to kind of be the lead in this new time and place that we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? Like what? Yes. Well, uh, if I hear you correctly, you're asking uh, how can, how should, how does the church need to be different for the yes. time in which, and you're absolutely right. I think the church needs to be value added to the community uh, where it sits, whatever church it is. And it and and demonstrating the gospel, living out the gospel in very real ways in the community, understanding the local community needs, and uh, being present, sitting with those needs in the community, and participating in resolving some of the difficulties in community life. And and as we all know, they're they're just huge right now and and, and growing. Uh, maybe you've heard of ABC, ABCD, asset-based community development, which I'm a real fan of. Uh, it's also there's also a sidebar to that of asset-based church development, okay. and it's a way in which the church per, uh, participates in community development, good um, community advocacy, and uh, it for it to really be genuine, it needs to have local community leaders mm. who are often part of the church or hopefully part of the church rather than outsiders yeah. who begin to assess what do we really need and then understand the resources that are available in the community. And the church can really be an advocacy of this kind of program where we uh, understand the local needs and we do inventory of the local resources. Um, and by say resources, I don't mean just money or things like that, although those that's always important, but I mean the skills and interests of the community. And someone knows something about gardening and so on. So you begin to dream about, well, how can we meet some of our local problems by using the resources that are local to our community mm. rather than being dependents that wait upon someone from the outside to treat us like, you know, you poor thing. Yeah. Um, if, if we are a needy community, um, and I, I think even in resourceful communities, to look at ways in which um, churches can be participating in some of the huge needs that wealth and the idols of this age produce that are so distracting and destructive to uh, to our communities. 
Yeah. Oh my, that, that was a lot there and really helpful, but I also really appreciate kind of what you're saying at the end. Um, that's a lot of um, stuff we try to unpack at BFJN, like thinking about money differently and not like recognizing that there are dangers um, of wealth accumulation, not the least of which is just buying into the cultural mindset of this is the goal um, and how that can malform us. Um, definitely. So appreciate you naming that. Is that, is that something that you are thinking about like in terms of like how to how to do ministry or just generally like this is a cultural view um something we need to be aware of it's huge it's huge so um you know who really is poor we can we can certainly talk about those who are physically impoverished and uh when i was at, in worcester that was certainly an issue and much of the clientele we work with but i'd say my present location um, it's really the poverty of spirit. Mm. And it's a problem uh, which is so rampant of when you when you are able to have more money than you need for your basic needs, then you become really, you can get distracted and chase after things that just rob your soul yeah. and empty. And um, you become... Uh, you know, a consumer of all this stuff that just makes you worse off than you were before, not to mention the resources that you're gobbling up. And I, when people really get their mind wrapped around that, particularly in the context of the gospel, uh, there's such power and revelation there and uh, transformation. And, you know, you and I were part of a Lazarus at the Gate uh, program at Faith Community Church. I be, I propose that here as well, and know people who have gone through that program or similar programs. They talk about how it just changed their whole perspective of life, mm -hmm. and you know, saw their own idolatries uh, that were unmasked. Yeah, I really appreciate that. The naming it as idolatry, I think, is that's huge like because that's that's the reality and i think yeah programs like lazarus and like you said other other ones that f that call us to interact with money as like a, a potentially problematic concept like the way the bible talks about it um you know as a danger um yeah anyway new versus old testament stuff but yeah i think it's just important to as as church leaders to um acknowledge like the the potential dangers of wealth as opposed to buying in wholesale to the american dream um, which I think, again, comes back to that idea of changing landscape, right? I think there is a um, resistance to this acquisitive hustle culture um, in the younger generations. And I think being on the forefront of that movement and helping people to unpack like, yes, here's why it's unsatisfying and you're you're wanting to be against it. And here's like a way to live wholly and fully um, into the way we're created. So, yeah. And I think it also transitions us into our, our last topic, because we are entering into when this when this podcast airs, we'll probably be in the Christmas season, which again, the irony is never lost as we celebrate um, the birth of Jesus. It is the most consumer driven, crazy time of year. And it is, I think, a hard season, I'm sure, for um, church leaders, because you guys are extra busy doing the Christmas season at church. But then it also kind of has this cultural moment. So how do you um how do you celebrate Advent and how do you call um the people you minister to to celebrate Advent? Yeah, so a variety of ways. Advent is such a, a great time of the year to remember uh, to anticipate, right? Mm. The coming of 
Christ. And those events that led up to that, which are about people who were in very difficult circumstances, um, it's such a contrast to so many of our American forms of Advent, um, which is about a frantic buying of Christmas gifts. And so I think reminding people of the very first Advent and what that was like, the, mm-hmm. the prophets uh, predicting a day when uh, a Savior would come, and boy, that Savior coming in such humble ways. Uh, and it produces such a contrast to the way, to the frantic ways that Advent, if you want to call it that, is uh, considered as a uh, present buying time. But um, uh, one way in which uh, High Rock is remembering uh, Advent this year is through a concert. So we're doing a concert December 15 through 17 at our Arlington campus. And the proceeds from that are going to benefit um, our Kisaboka mission, which is in Uganda. Sometimes uh, when we do this uh, Advent time uh, concert, we um, um, give the proceeds to a local ministry or outreach or food pantry. Um, This one is going overseas because uh, this particular ministry uh, that that we're a part of is in so much great need right now. Mm. Um, But um, I think to, to be, you know, to be in a giving mode during Advent, thinking about um, what it meant for God to give us um, himself and Jesus mm-hmm. and for ourselves to uh, be givers and looking for ways to kind of go against the expensive gift buying, uh, you know, frantic uh, time and instead be sensitive to where gifts can go to help the community. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Um, it, it is, it's a, it's such a season of contrast. So I appreciate thinking about ways that we can really focus on what the season was originally for. Um, and, but then how we can live in our culture and our time, like we can't pretend it's not happening, but what does that, what does that mean for tending to our spirits? um during that time and growing so thank you for that um i love that term you use a season of contrast that's great that's exactly are you (laughs) elizabeth yeah by the way am i what reverend elizabeth oh my goodness yeah george is constantly trying to get me to be ordained as the pastor or something and i i don't know if there's a fundamental misunderstanding between us or god is using him for something that's going to happen down the road, but I appreciate it. (laughs) You are welcome to call me reverend. Um, That is fine. Um, It's so good to talk to you. Is there anything else you wanted to share um, about what you've got going on or um, anything we didn't touch on? Uh, Just keep up the good work, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for all you're doing in your network. Thank you. And thank you for the conversation. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it.